Welcome to Rebuilding. This podcast is designed to help the church rebuild its walls one person at a time. For more information, check us out at www.piercepoint.org. A.W. Tozer, in his book, Finding Christ in Christmas, wrote these words. He said, It does seem strange that so many persons become excited about Christmas and so few stop to inquire into its meaning. But I suppose this odd phenomenon is quite in harmony with our unfortunate human habit of magnifying trivialities and ignoring matters of greatest import. The same man who will check his tires and consult his roadmap with utmost care before starting out on a journey may, may travel for a lifetime on the way that knows no return and never once pause to ask whether or not he is headed in the right direction. This morning, as we celebrate Christmas together as a church gathered, I, I want to bring this series that we've been in, the series of Advent, to a, uh, a very important and yet a very practical close. Okay? I want it, I want it to, to stick with you. I, I do believe that the message that you will hear today uh, will change you if you'll let it change you. Uh, and I also believe that the message today has very practical implications. Uh, this message is one in which we take A.W. Tozer's words. Obviously, we're taking God's word very seriously. But we're taking A.W. Tozer's words and we're pausing to see if, in fact, we're headed in the right direction at all when it comes to Christmas. Okay? Uh, throughout this series, we've, we've looked at the destination of Christmas. We've looked at the destination of December 25th. Uh, and all of us want to get to 20, December 25th and actually arrive at Christmas, right? That's what we want to do. The problem is, is that we can aim for December 25th and not arrive at Christmas, and we often do. We aim for December 25th, we're trying for Christmas, but the sad part is we're completely off. Instead of Christmas as a day uh, for decorations and presents and family, food and festivities, all designed to bring us joy, and you're going to need to listen to the nuance of what I'm about to say, but instead of Christmas as a day for decorations, as a day for all of these things that are intended to bring us joy, We need to reverse this. We need to flip this idea completely around. Instead of that, what we need to do is, in light of joy, celebrate Christmas. In light of joy, we we can have presents, and we can have family, and we can have food, and we can have all of the festivities that go with it. There's a lot of uh, talk in the church today about whether or not Christmas is uh, adaptations of pagan holidays and all of these other things. And of course, on the surface, people can look at that and say, yeah, it kind of looks similar to some of those things. But trust me when I say, if you give any real study to this idea, you will find that uh, that those accusations are faulty accusations. Trust me when I say it. You, you need to study a little deeper and you'll find out that what the church was trying to do much later in the church's history is to, in light of their joy, celebrate the Savior who bought them, the Savior who changed them completely. Now, uh, turning things upside down is key, but we have to ask the questions, uh, how do we flip it? And the answer is, 
by looking at Christmas for what it's really about. We have to study what Christmas is really about. We have to realize what Israel was actually anticipating uh, when, they were, when they were waiting for Messiah. We need to see how those anticipations uh, were fulfilled in King Jesus. And then, last but not least, we need to personalize those, uh, and I don't mean it in the American sense. I mean to own what is true for you. If this is Jesus in you, if Christ is in you and he is the hope of glory, if you are a saved or a redeemed person, if you are a saint of God, you need to understand these truths because it changes how you come at Christmas. Instead of Christmas bringing you joy, out of joy you celebrate Christmas. And I can't tell you how, how important that is or how profound that is. It's taken me 40 years of my life, to be honest. 40 years of my life to actually understand what this whole thing is all about. And I have no problem admitting that. So, what were the anticipations of ancient Israel? Here's where we recap from the past three weeks. And I plan on giving you an understanding of this in the shortest amount of time you've ever imagined. I know. Nathan, Nathan preaching. Dave McCarthy's clapping, but it's okay. So... In week one, in week one, we remember one title or one idea in week one, and that was the seed of Abraham. And as I've shared with you over this series, all definitions, all titles have meaning behind them. Every word that you have has a meaning. And so the seed of Abraham, honestly, even as Christians, the seed of Abraham doesn't make much sense if that's all you give me. The seed of Abraham, okay, that sounds weird, sounds very religious, but it doesn't have any meaning. What have we discovered that the seed of Abraham actually meant? It meant a savior. It meant uh, someone who would bring salvation not only to Israel, but salvation to the world. In Genesis, the, the story was that the, the seed of Abraham would come and he would crush the serpent's head. Now, that's a beautiful part of the truth, that Jesus came, and he crushes the serpent's head, that old enemy, the devil, and he saves us from that tyranny. But it's also important to recognize that he saves us from our sin. This is a part of the story that is often not communicated in the modern church. We love to talk about the love of God, but we fail to talk often about the salvation of God or the redemption of God through his blood because we were sinners. So the next thing that we see in the seed of Abraham is the idea of reconciliation. How many of you know that you did not, you don't need reconciled, you might, you don't need reconciled or the story of the Bible is not about you being reconciled to your brother, your sister, your aunt, your uncle, whatever. That's not what the Bible is about. The Bible is about you being reconciled to God. It's about you being reconciled to God. And you know what is required in our understanding if we're going to be reconciled to God? It means that we were distant from God. It means that our sin had separate us from, separated us from God. How many of you know that? You know that that is true. But this is, this is interestingly missing in our gospel declarations today. Here's what we love to say. We love to say, Jesus loves you. You're made in the image of God. Jesus loves you. That's true. Right? But there is a big difference between being loved by God and being lovable. <laughs> you know this, and I've shared it before. You and I were not lovable. We go into the world and we say, gosh, Jesus loves you. You're such an awesome person. Come to know him. No. What you need to know is you're an enemy of God if you have not accepted Jesus. Now, that's a hard pill to swallow. But the love of God comes in that he made a way for you to not be an enemy. Amen? 
He made a way where he could restore you and bring you back. So in week one, we looked at the anticipation of Israel is the seed of Abraham, saving and reconciliation. How many of you know that ancient Israel was not anticipating, they were not anticipating on Christmas morning, Christmas morning, they were not anticipating Christmas trees, presents, eggnog, and uh, the spirit of Christmas. (laughs) Did you know that? They weren't anticipating any of this nonsense that we anticipate. They anticipated something far greater. And sadly, we're aiming at December 25th, and we're not going to arrive at Christmas because we're all about uh, our family and festivities and all those things. And sadly, we're looking to those things to give us joy. And they cannot bring you joy. You know why they cannot bring you joy? Because at Christmas Day, there's going to be a table with an empty seat because Aunt Susie is mad at Uncle Jerry and doesn't want to come around to the family. You're going to let that ruin your joy? Then you've got Christmas backwards. You've got Christmas upside down. Why? Because it is for the joy set before us that we are celebrating this time. So in week two, we looked at King Jesus. That was the second anticipation of Israel. Jesus was come to be a conquering king, and contrary to popular belief, he was a conquering physical and spiritual king. This is is evidenced in the very prayer Jesus instructs us to pray, right? He says, I want you to pray these words. My kingdom come, my will be done, where? On earth, as it is in heaven. Jesus doesn't say, ah, it's just in the great by and by. We're going to heaven someday, don't worry about it. I got a harp waiting for you. That's not what the story of God communicates. So what happened? We had King Jesus, and here is what's really staggering. Israel has always connected their hope, had always connected their hope with a physical king, and Jesus came physical. He was the incarnate Son of God. He came for all of us. So we have a physical king, and we have a spiritual king. And here's something that I think you should you should. Take note of, and you should uh, consider as you go into your Christmas season. Uh, God cares about the kingdoms of this world. God cares about the politics of this world. I know. (laughs) Oh, Nathan. Nathan, Nathan, Nathan. Stop. Okay, listen. I want to challenge you at Christmas to talk about both politics and religion all at the same time while you're at the table and tell people how it is fulfilled, it is done, it is finished in King Jesus. That's what you need to be sharing with people. The truth is, no matter who sits on the throne of America or who sits on the throne of any other nation in the world, if King Jesus is on the throne, and last I checked, he is, we're good. We're good. And guess what? The increase, see, we get get a lot of applause for political things. Maybe you'll get applause at your dinner table if you talk about politics. I doubt it, but the point still remains. King Jesus, physical and spiritual. Again, ancient Israel was not anticipating eggnog. They should have, but they weren't, okay? They were anticipating a king on his throne, a king come to save. And then last week, we looked uh, deeply into this idea of Emmanuel or God with us. That's the meaning of that term. We don't just have some fancy term that jumps, uh, gets thrown into a song. We have a meaning behind it. God with us. As Christians, we know and believe that Jesus came, born of a virgin, fully God and fully man. Philippians 2, 6 through 11 tells us that he came to serve and not to be served. He came as a bondservant uh, for humanity. Why? So that he would be obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Do you realize that King Jesus comes knowing that the cross is in view? 
Most of us look at this and say, that's Easter, Nathan. That's the Easter message. You just wait for this. Have you listened to Christmas songs? Most of your Christmas songs have some view of the crucifixion in view. They talk about him coming and the purpose of his coming because he is coming to redeem his creation. And so in uh, Philippians 2, 6 through 11, we see that. In 1 Corinthians 15, we we learn uh, elements of the gospel which Paul says are of first importance. The first one is this, that Christ died according to the scriptures. That's If you're going to give the gospel, if you're going to declare the gospel... How many of you know that one of the key uh, three elements that you must deliver in this message is Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures? We're shirking that responsibility. Why? Because we don't want to offend anybody. You're going to offend people more if you knew the truth and held it from them, right? So he died for our sins according to the scriptures. The second element of the gospel, he was buried. And the reason why you need to know that he was buried was for number three, right? (laughs) That he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. What a powerful gospel declaration. But here's an element of of the gospel or God's story that we often forget. And that is that God told us that he was Emmanuel, God with us. And that means that God is with us, not God was with us. He didn't come 2,000 years ago and then disappear. What happened? He's dwelling with us now. How is he dwelling with us? Well, through the very promise that Jesus made in John 14, 16 through 18. Look at what the the Bible tells us. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you. Say it with me, church. Forever. Do you know when that ends? Do you know that expiration date? Never. (laughs) It's really important. So he goes on. He says, I'm going to send a helper that he'll be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth. This is one of the many titles or names for the spirit of God. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. Who is the helper? The Holy Spirit. Who is the spirit? The spirit of truth. The world can't receive that spirit. Because what? Because it does not see him or know him. But we as Christians, we have a different situation, don't we? Look at what he says. He says, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. This is all prior to Pentecost. What a powerful idea. So he continues. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Now this promise is actually answered by the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8. And I want you to see this too. Uh, Everything that Jesus wanted, everything that Jesus declared, everything that he promised, Paul says at this point had come true. He says, for all, are being, all who are being led by the Spirit, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. Please translate this properly, church. The slavery leading to, or a spirit of slavery leading to fear would be a spirit of slavery to sin and death which leads to fear. What is the context of Romans 8? Paul is calling the church to holiness, to walk according to the Spirit. Contrary to popular belief in the church today, walking according to the Spirit is not some undefinable, vague nonsense. It means do what Jesus says. I I love it. It's amazing. And guess what? Peter tells us you've been given everything you, you need in life to do it. You've been given everything you need pertaining to life and godliness. So he calls them to walk according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. And here's why you can do it. He says, but you have received not a spirit of slavery, a spirit of adoption, church. 
as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Church, what was Jesus' promise? I won't leave you as orphans. Yeah. It's because the Spirit of God dwelling in his people, this is why you must have the Spirit of God when you're born again. There's no two ways about it. Otherwise, you're not an adopted child. And we have a serious problem in our theology. So what does he say? He says, you're adopted. You're adopted. And then it comes true in Romans chapter 8, verses 14 and 15. So what do we have? We have Emmanuel. What was anticipated by the early Christians or by the early Jewish people in, in Christ's day? They were anticipating God dwelling with them. This has been a story of, God, uh, of God's for, from the beginning. In the garden, remember what happened? He dwelled with his people. What happened in Exodus 25? He said, build a tabernacle so that I may dwell with my people. What happens in Revelation 21? He says, I'm coming down with a new heaven and a new earth and a new tabernacle so that what? I can dwell with my people. And guess what happens in the meantime? He says, I sent my spirit so that I can dwell with my people. God is with us. They wanted God with them. Why? Do you know what it means when God is with you? You have peace. You have joy in your life. You have the very things that cause you to look to Christmas, to look to December 25th, and actually celebrate. Because the joy is already there, church. So we've consulted our roadmap, like Tozer said, and what we found is quite a different meaning to Christmas. Israel was anticipating uh, something far greater than Christmas trees and presents under the tree. Israel was awaiting a savior. Israel was awaiting reconciliation with God. Israel was anticipating a conquering king, God among them, to dwell with them forever. And guess what? Church, all of this was fulfilled in King Jesus. All of this was fulfilled in King Jesus. Guys, it's in light of joy, in light of joy, that we celebrate Christmas. But let me tell you what happens if you reverse the order. If you reverse the order, you're going to look to presents to make you happy. And guess what's going to happen? Little Johnny's going to be mad because you didn't buy him the right transformer. Or Big Johnny, I don't know. But <laughs> the point is, they're going to be unhappy. What's going to happen if you build all of this uh, great uh, feast around the dinner table, but it doesn't go right and your joy is not found in Christ? Your season is going to be ruined because the turkey got burnt. Or the ham or whatever it is that you make, right? Your season's going to be ruined. Your season's going to be ruined yet again, like I said, because Aunt Susie doesn't show up to dinner because she's mad at Uncle Jerry because he keeps opening his mouth about religion and politics at the table. <laughs> right? But here's the problem. Here's the problem, church. Here's the problem. Your Christmas is completely ruined, and here's why. And I know that this is going to sting a bit. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be ruined because you got it wrong. You aimed for December 25th. You just didn't show up at Christmas. You showed up at a day where the world celebrates, well, nonsense. I have no idea what the world is celebrating. And do you know this? This is really an important truth. Christians of all people should be the best celebrators of Christmas on the planet. Why are we Scrooge? <laughs> I'm confused here, right? Why are we curmudgeons about all of this? We should be the people that are like loudly shouting joy to the world. Amen? 
Most of you are like, what is curmudgeon? Anyway, so <laughs> we'll, move, we'll move on from that, okay? But we should be the people who celebrate, right? Here, here's what happens if you do this the right way. If you do this the right way and God is your joy and Christ dwelling in you through his spirit is your joy, here's what happens. You want to buy as many gifts for as many people within your budget as you can. Because why? Because you've been given the greatest gift that the world has ever known. And because of the things given to you, you can't stop but be a generous person. Stingy and Christian don't go together, guys. What happens if you get this right is that you sit around the table or you walk into your mom's house or or your family's house and the smells just overwhelm you with joy because the smell of our table, the aroma of our table is intended to reflect the aroma of our heart, which is joy before a holy God. So that means it better start smelling good, mom. Sorry. (laughs) Why do we have a Christmas tree? Why do we have all of these decorations? Why do we dangle lights everywhere? Why do we go to all of these shows where we see lights and walk through Christmas walks and everything? Because if our joy is right, if our joy is what is motivating all of this, church, what happens is we choose to adorn our lives in such a way that our lives adorn the gospel. How many of you know that your life is supposed to adorn the gospel? I wrote on Facebook yesterday that for the joy set before Christ, he endured the cross. For the joy set before you as a Christian, which is eternity and eternal life, you ought to be at least able to endure holiday traffic when shopping, okay? (laughs) Two smart alecks decided to comment on my post and say, is this your own problem? And they know full well it's not my problem. But I have my own problems, right? Those smart alecks will remain nameless, Tina and Stephanie. So... Do you want to know why we should live holy and righteous lives? Do you want to know why we should be pleasant to be around? You know why we should be a joy? Because we're claiming to have the greatest joy in all the world. I don't don't know, church. I don't know what we've done. I don't know how we did it. But we aimed for December 25th and we missed Christmas. So this Christmas season, as you gather with your family, please hear me loud and clear. Share with your family what was anticipated long ago. Share with your family that there was anticipated a Savior who, who was come to redeem sinful humanity back to the Father. Tell your family that the reason you give gifts and dress up and do all of these great things at your dinner table, the reason why you do all of this is because King Jesus is on the throne and we win. Tell your family that the reason why all of this is what it is to you is because you're not like the rest of the world who is distant from God because God is with you. God is Emmanuel. We're going to continue to sing this morning as the worship team comes back up and we're going to celebrate our King and we're also going to participate in communion together as an entire corporate body. We're going to do communion slightly different this morning. But I want to encourage you, sing with these guys. Give your hearts to the, to the songs that we sing. When we go to communion time, we're going to meet that again like we did last week with a corporate time of repentance. And then we're going to celebrate again King Jesus who has saved us and redeemed us. Amen. 
Thanks so much for listening to Rebuilding from Pierce Point Community Church. We hope that today's podcast will help you become a more connected part of Christ's body. Remember to check out our website at piercepoint.org for more information.